0: Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journeys. I'm very pleased today to introduce Dr. Charlie Kleissner to the podcast. Charlie is a former tech entrepreneur and now a leading impact investor. He believes the deeper meaning of wealth is to make a positive contribution to humanity and the planet. Dr. Kleissner co-founded KL Felicitas Foundation and Social Impact International, which helps social entrepreneurs worldwide to accelerate and increase their impact. Dr. Kleissner also co-founded Tonic and the 100% Impact Network, two leading global networks for impact investors. Well, thank you very much, Charlie, for taking the time to speak to me today.
1: Well, thank you, Fergus, for inviting me. I'm always uh, thrilled to be able to share my thoughts about the impact economy with interested uh, listenership like you have and look forward to our conversation. Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: So, can you tell me a little bit about your background, Charlie, and career and how you became involved in the world of impact investment?
1: Great. Uh, So, you will detect a slight accent in my voice, and that accent is Austrian, uh, German, so I grew up in Austria uh, and had a chance to visit Hawaii in 1974 on an American Field Service scholarship where um, not only I learned how to serve, but also I met my wife, Lisa, and we have been companions and partners um, ever since. When I went back to Austria, Vienna, I, started, uh, com- I studied computer science and uh, got a PhD in computer science. At that point in time, um, Lisa and I got married in Austria, and she wanted to go back to um, the U.S. for various reasons, and I was actually supporting that, and since um, I have a PhD in computer science, we explored going to Silicon Valley, and that led us to immigrate in 1986 to Silicon Valley, and there I had a chance to make my mark as a senior technology executive uh, in multiple Startups, where I usually played the role of either VP of engineering or chief technology officer, mostly the main technical guy on the senior executive team. And I was able to work in three successful startups. So the first one was a company called Next. And Next is the company that Steve Jobs founded after he was kicked out of Apple. And I was in charge of building the operating system Which then became Apple's operating system, System 10, when Steve took over Apple in the um, mid to late 90s. And then my second startup that I was uh, successfully participating in was a company called DataMind, which did uh, data mining software. And we sold that one successfully for about 400 million to a different company called Epiphany. Nice exit on that one. And I would say my masterpiece in Silicon Valley was a company called Ariba, a business to business e-commerce company that we took public in 1999. And that was a rocket ship from a financial success perspective. And uh, I owned about 1.75, one and three quarters percent of a company uh, that then became very valuable on on the marketplace with over 10 billion in market capitalization and was diversifying my stock uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, and that pretty much created the majority of the wealth uh, that came our way in that time frame. So when you have one of these, what's referred to as liquidity events, then as a couple and as as a family, uh, either you fall apart or you get closer together, because if one person you know, wants to do the mindfulness thing and, uh, and meditate and the other one is into Ferraris and yachts, then usually things break apart. And, uh, and I was very lucky, uh, that Lisa and I were on the same page when we reflected on the meaning of wealth, that, um, <clears throat> the only possible answer for us on that was that, uh, we had to use our wealth to make a positive contribution to humanity and the planet. And, um, And therefore, you know, now that's called uh, impact investing at the time in 2002 and 2003. There was no clear terminology uh, for that yet, but that is when we decided to go on that path. So the motivation is both, I think, intrinsically um, our conviction that wealth comes with responsibility of making a positive contribution. And it also comes from being a systems thinker um, and observing the trajectory of humanity with respect to having to figure out how to live on a, on a finitely resourced planet with uh, 10 billion people you know, means that the existing systems will have to radically change, not just adapt. And when we looked into um, how philanthropy was working and how the financial system was working at the time, we were quite disappointed by the fact that either system actually has nothing to contribute systemically to humanity and the well-being of uh, humanity and the planet. Philanthropy, on one level, you know, is arguably contributing to dependencies and creating dependencies and handouts are just not a good paradigm for um, you know attacking big issues like social injustice and inequality and poverty. And similarly, just maximizing uh, shareholder value and financial returns at the expense of everything else, including communities and welfare and happiness and what have you, was is also not the right paradigm. And so both from our own conviction of uh, making a difference with the wealth that came our way, as well as our systemic assessment of what the ecosystem is contributing or not contributing towards sustainability of the planet uh, led us to uh, what we now call impact investing. Great. Great.
0: That's a great journey, Charlie. Um, and and uh, the KL, is it Felicitas Foundation, is, is at the heart of uh, uh, a lot of what you do, I think. Can you talk a little bit about this and how, uh, what you're focused on here?
1: Absolutely. So in in 2001 and two, Lisa and I decided to express part of our uh, intention to make a difference with our foundation. And so the foundation is called KL Felicitas Foundation, and it stands for happiness. And initially in the early 2000s, we were both drawn to supporting what was what is now still called social entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs who are clearly entrepreneurs, but are not only motivated by exits and making a lot of money, but are motivated uh, primarily in making a difference, socially and or environmentally, and of course making a decent uh, return for themselves and their and their investors. And so we started working with social entrepreneurs globally, helping them out not only with our capital, but also with our networks and with our connections, and with our, we helped them capacity train. And that led to us supporting and co creating and co founding uh, accelerators. The first one that we that we did was in India, and uh, that has been very successful and is now run by Dasra, our partner there. A second one I've started and, and co founded in Vienna, Austria, focused on. Uh, entrepreneurs from Eastern uh, European countries that are not integrated yet totally into the supply chains and value chains of Western Europe and helping them out in in understanding all that. And Lisa has started one in Hawaii focused on Hawaiian entrepreneurs, helping them really design and implement um, uh, 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 business models that are appropriate for island economies from a sustainability standpoint as well as a spiritual aloha spirit uh, standpoint. And so um, so, so our foundation has been focused on one side on the social entrepreneurs and the way of helping them to become more impactful and on the other side we uh, started um, as we started helping investors become more impactful by sharing our stories, comparing notes and by creating organizations along those lines, You know, our foundation is now also as a second um, pillar of impact, uh, supporting the impact ecosystem on the supply side of capital, meaning the uh, in investments and the intermediaries. And we can talk about that a little bit more if you wish. But that was the beginning of our foundation and then how we got into supporting um, the accelerators and then also the impact investing networks that ultimately led to the foundation of Tonic
0: yes absolutely absolutely now um can you maybe just uh clarify what you see as uh in impact investment what it what yeah. it, what it actually entails and maybe uh give a, a little bit of a picture of of how you see the lay of the land at the moment there's tremendous uh energy, there's uh, quite a lot of uh, press and a lot of uh, interest in impact investment on the one hand and, and yet it's, it's still quite a small area, uh, notwithstanding the tremendous momentum. Um, could you maybe just give a sense of how you see things today?
1: Absolutely. So the definition of impact investment, the good news on that one is that there is a broad agreement in general about the definition of of it and I will share that in in a second. And the bad news is that the interpretation of that, you know, varies. So let me talk about the uh, definition first and then lay out a little bit the complexities of the the field and the ecosystem in the context of that definition. I think people agree that there are four components to defining impact investments. First, not in priority order, you know, it has to be intentional, meaning that the investors make the investments with the intention of having a positive impact, uh, both either on the environment and or the social side. The second uh, part of the definition is that it is an investment approach. It's not an asset class. It means that any investment that an investor does can be an impact investment or not. As a matter of fact... Any investment has an impact and has positive impact and negative impact. What impact investors want to achieve usually is first of all transparency as much as possible and secondarily maximizing the positive and minimizing the negative impact. The, uh, the third component of, of the definition is that alongside financial return it is important to have a positive environmental and or social impact. And fourthly, it's important to measure that impact. And measurement and impact management is a very hot topic in, 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 in our field and we can talk about that a little bit more if that's interesting you know, um, downstream in, in our conversation. But you asked me to share a little bit uh, after reflecting on the meaning and, and definition of impact investing on where we stand as a, as a, as a field. And uh, let me let me talk about that a little bit to set the stage for maybe exploring um, some of these um, discussion discussions a little bit more. I forgot to mention that um, Lisa and, and my objective, the theory of change that we have for our foundation and for part of our lives, is to change the financial system, and um, and we think that that's necessary for. A couple of major reasons and let me explain to you how the ecosystem is, is is evolving and where the change opportunities are and why we need to change the system so i think that it's fair to say that today in 2018 uh there is um two there, there are two mega trends in um in impact investing one i would call broad impact investing and that's led by the sustainability and ESG uh, movement, and um, and so which is great. I think it's a great improvement from negative screening and positive screening to go to ESG and um, and implement that across asset classes. And big companies are moving into that and defining their products and then moving forward in that. And it it does improve uh, the existing system. And uh, however, usually it lacks transparency. So unless you become a client of one of these big companies, uh, the secret sauce about how they do their ESG investing, they don't share with anybody else, which is a problem because, of course, that means that only the uh, clients who are part of their ecosystem get to experience that and pay a hefty fee for that. And so it's a perpetuation of the existing model of... um, of how the uh, asset management industry works. And usually the second constraint that they have, and we might wanna talk about that later in the podcast as well, is they're constrained by what they call market rate returns. Meaning that they measure their uh, success by comparing their financial return to usually a weighted uh, benchmark, uh, industry benchmark across asset classes that reflects uh, their portfolio, and uh, and 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 as the, you know, pretty much as the whole financial industry and asset management industry works, uh, every asset manager has to compare him or herself towards the market market rate returns as expressed by these indices, which really have nothing to do with impact, right? And so that's where you see where we see the. Uh, the problem and why the broad impact movement is fortunately complemented by the deep impact movement, which Tonic and KLF, the Felicis Foundation, are part of. And so on the on the deep side, you know, we are asking the more systemic questions about how would we be able to integrate impact into the theories like postmodern portfolio theory, such that. We start understanding how impact risk might or might not be related to actual impact achieved, and financial return, and uh, risk. It pushes we push the transparency, you know, with our peers to make sure that we can learn as a field from what it means to measure impact, the impact management uh, side of the, the the side, and and all the way from sustainable development goals all the way down to measuring. The impact of, of, a, of a particular investment. I think all these, all these. Uh, we need more tools. We need more um, frameworks. We need more examples, and that's what Titanic and the 100% Impact Network is all about. And we're working on a fundamental reconceptualization of modern portfolio theory in conjunction uh, with researchers, uh, where you know we now have over 100 data points that we can follow longitudinally in order to do um, behavioral analysis of what we think is less risk, right? And to to, to figure out some of these uh, interdependencies from a statistical and relevance standpoint that we just talked about before. And and in order and, and, and in that sector, just briefly, you know, we talk about the appropriate financial return and what need to move beyond what they call market rate returns because the benchmarks that the industry is pulling in are pretty much meaningless to, to deep impact investors.
0: Right, that's very interesting. Now, uh, so you're talking about uh, integrating impact into uh, modern portfolio theory, and I guess the heart of that is this relationship between risk and return. Um, and, you know, um, I, I, I'm not a, an expert, but from my MBA and back in the day, and, you know, no re- higher risk, higher return. And what would the uh, benefit of a reconfigured portfolio theory that included impact Uh, actually be how would that change things
1: yeah so so the the fundamental question that uh, that that um, impact portfolio investors ask is the following given that I want to have an impact in whatever themes I care about be that climate change or social justice or inequality or poverty alleviation you know what um, and based on the risk that I want to take Um, What is the appropriate investment strategies across asset classes, given other constraints like liquidity and maybe expected uh, financial return? And that, you know, the answer to that question is complex. There's no theory that helps us actually answer that, because as you pointed out, modern portfolio theory only talks about asset classes and financial risk and return. It does not have anything to say. About uh, impact or impact risk and return. So um, let's say you want to build a portfolio with your foundation uh, that uh, makes a meaningful contribution to climate change mitigation and to social injustice and maybe inequality in this world. So then, um, and let's say that you you say that for that type of portfolio, I would want to have on average. You know, a financial return of maybe between you know four and six percent absolute over many years, and uh, and depending on the impact risk that you want to take, meaning you know what do you want to invest in in different asset classes and different depths of uh, let's say alleviating inequality. What are the what's the universe for me to invest in? You know, there's no there's no the 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 intermediaries are not really helping us to answer that question. And so in an ideal world, the postmodern portfolio theory would be able to answer that question. We're a few years away from that, but we need to start working on that. And part of the Tonic Network is the 100% Impact Network, which we have about 100 participants in right now. And these 100 participants, um, you know, represent about $6 billion in committed capital to impact, and they all have made a commitment to go 100% into impact. And so they, they've also allowed us to share their investment and impact data anonymously with researchers who are now starting a longitudinal study to follow these 100 plus investments to figure out, well, you know, are we actually reaching the impact that we say that we want to have and what type of uh, relationship does that have with the financial return that we have. And so we're starting. To put um, maybe even the right questions in place, but it will take some years to get the answers to the to the to the fundamental question that I asked: How do you build an impact portfolio given a, a certain impact risk appetite that you have? How, what does it look like with respect to asset classes and deep impact? And uh, just one more data point on that one that might trigger you know a few thoughts on 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 your side is 20% of the 100%ers, meaning $1.2 billion, right, uh, is not measured against existing benchmarks because the 100%ers, like I said before, don't want to necessarily compare their impact portfolios to benchmarks that draw in companies and funds that they would never be able to invest in, right? And so we need to really reinvent the uh, appropriate benchmarks as well such that we can figure out what is the appropriate return and go beyond the, um, the false uh, assertion that market rate returns actually are a meaningful comparison to what impact investors need.
0: Right. Very deep area here, complex, uh, many dimensions to it. What would be different in a world where the, you had this fully developed postmodern portfolio th- theory? How would things be different?
1: so what you would be able to see of course let's say that we fi- if let's say we figure out how to uh, do these investments which we're a little bit away from right because uh, we don't know how like i said we don't know how, how deep impact relates to financial risk and return yet but let's assume we we figure that out especially in some areas of impact and we will figure that out over the next few years then we would get not only uh, every quarter, you know, a financial return statement, but we would actually get an impact return statement. And uh, and even so, we are more concerned about long term impact. It's good to monitor it and, and make sure that we have feedback loops. And so so not only do we um, figure out what financial return we make and get that 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 loop uh, back into our discussions, but we will be um, we will be. Um, monitoring right of the impact that our portfolio has vis-a-vis the um, the objectives that we have set so you will see what change your portfolio has achieved as which is really over time right right in the topics that you care about which is a very very important topic for impact portfolio investors and particularly hundred percenters because they see their portfolio not necessarily as an intellectual exercise of making money or even having impact they see their portfolio as an expression of who they really are they see their portfolio as an expression of the change that they want to see i mentioned to you you know that um, that lisa and i you know want to change the financial system as part of um, our portfolio investments including our foundation and so we have identified a couple of leverage points in what we invest in, and that's really um, different different ways of investing, like social impact bonds. So Lisa and I invested in the first social impact bond in the UK because we felt well here's a new approach that explicitly ties financial return to the impact that we have. And then we just got out of that bond successfully with a three percent return, you know, which was acceptable for us because it's a new instrument, and there's now what about a hundred Social impact bonds that are trying out uh, things in, in a different way. We care about democratization of impact, and so we invested in the first um, in the first social stock exchange, right, and and and, and in, in crowd crowdfunding platforms. We we care, you know, we care about um, funding and investing in new fund managers who are trying to do things differently than the existing fund structures. We put different term sheets out that they're not just equity, but that are really tying into demand dividend structures and other opportunities uh, of going beyond the existing way of doing uh, right. you know, measuring measuring yes. our impact. And so yes. you see some examples of uh, what, yes. what we and others are doing. Yes.
0: Yes. No, and, and, and just taking this to the next step. So, what would that look like in terms of, you know, we, we, we talked about the fact that actually the scale of impact investment as a, as a percentage of the overall trillions in the capital markets is is tiny. Um, notwithstanding the momentum and so forth, what would a, you know, how would this change? What kind of investors would then be able to come into the market? And what kind of scale of investment, you know, a, 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 a recognizing that this isn't something that's going to happen overnight, but, you know, within whatever, let's say, five years or you some significant step forward in how you, you know, model and can talk about this. What, how, how
1: would the world look differently then? Well, scale is an important topic, right? And scale is so, especially if you talk about scale, let's go back to the broad impact and the deep impact, right? So I think the broad impact movement is going to scale and that's the sustainability and ESG movement, particularly as it pertains to public equities and the liquid portions of the portfolio. And even pension funds right now are starting to ask the question about ESG alignment which is a great sign of progress, right? And so that one, um, as I mentioned before, you know, is going to scale with the market. Now the deep impact side is not going to scale, and it's not, you know, it cannot go to scale until we figure out a few things that we that we discussed before that would actually, you know, change fundamentally the uh, thematic and deeper impact um, side of, of the investment categories. So, for deep impact investors, if you if you ask them about uh, do you invest in public equities, well, usually the answer is yes, because a portfolio, an impact portfolio, does require liquidity as 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 you know as expressed in maybe the the public portions of your, of your portfolio, and it might need um, financial return that's more predictable on on that level than the direct investments that the impact investors really do, and uh, yet you know, uh, usually deep impact folks are not totally happy about the level of impact that they can accomplish in that portion of their portfolios. So one of the things that has to happen is, you know, shareholder engagement and proxy voting is arguably one of the few leverage points that impact investors have in that portion of their portfolio to make their voices heard. And if you don't do that, then you could make an argument that, well, you, know, you really don't have a direct um, influence on the impact of publicly held companies because you just buy stock and then you think that you can sell it to somebody at a higher price, but that buying and selling does not have a real you know, material impact on the impact of the company that you invest in. And so, so, so in that sense, right, uh, I think the, if we were ever able or when we are able to integrate deep impact, let's say in the public equities, which you know, is a heavy lift, then it would be unimaginable, you know, that a publicly held company would knowingly extract uh, material out of the earth and leave and not treat its workers well and leave um, the surface contaminated with, uh, without cleaning up. That would just not be allowed in a deep impact world, right? We would, we, we should ask, you know, the Larry Finks of the world who, um, admirably and rightly challenge the um, CEOs of having positive impact in asking what impact his company actually has, positive and negative, right? I think that's a fair question, especially if you demand transparency and positive impact from everybody else. Until, you know, the uh, big asset management companies, and we're talking about the, the top five in the U.S. control you know probably 50 percent of public equity investments right now change their requirements to demand deep impact that sector is not going to change right because us private investors don't have the leverage in that sector of the market to demand that change and so you see um again the my, my answer to you is nuanced because if you want like we want the uh, the public equities to ultimately go deep impact you know that's going to take a little while yeah just explain uh, you know why that is the case and and, and how the fiduciary responsibility of uh, asset managers wrongly interpreted by their um, lawyers you know is contributing to the problem so the re- regulatory framework also needs to change to encourage and maybe even uh, you know <laughs> move uh, these bigger asset managers into, um, demanding, not just ESG, which is in my opinion, just good management practices, but deeper impact where you would, um, measure, you know, resource consumption, you know, in a given, um, in, 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 a given sector or vertical, and you have to compare yourself to others and it would not be, uh, acceptable if you're coming in last in, in, in manufacturing, if you, if you, you know, use uh, 10 times as much water than your, co- your competitors, for instance.
0: Yes, yes, it's a very interesting area um, with, as you say, some movement um, uh, laterally uh, from some of the bigger fund investors. And, and yet, you know, there there is clear evidence that investment in high sustainability companies, you know, that high sustainability companies have better financial performance and the investments do better.
1: And yet... <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I think that's that's the realization, right, that ESG, which is better management on environmental, social and governance uh, topics, you know, does make a material difference. And I think uh, every study now shows that 65 percent, two thirds of uh, funds managed that way actually do have a better financial performance. And you see, that's why um, why institutional capital is now coming in, not because they want to do good or they believe in sustainability. No, 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 no. It's because they can make a lot
0: of money but it 's still slow, I mean given it's, i mean it 's like I remember the the joke about the uh, finance professor walking down the road. <laughs> they talk about the efficient market theory and he s- sees a fifty dollar bill and he walks by and someone says well, why didn 't you pick it up and he said, "Well, he said it was a fifty dollar bill somebody else would have picked it up um, this This idea um, you know of efficiency <laughs> yeah. if, if the markets were efficient. And you talk about, you know, some of these investments, you know, the margins are tiny and yet vast sums of money chase these tiny margins. And yet you've clear, you know, evidence (coughs) that 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 sustainability pays. And yet it's still a very, very small part of the picture.
1: So so let's talk about systemic change on a higher level. And then I'm going to answer from my perspective your implicit question of what would what would accelerate maybe the path to deeper impact. So in my opinion, you know, we are at the beginning of an unprecedented global change uh, towards um, uh, sustainability on a planetary scale enabled by radical new um, technology and an evolving consciousness of humanity. So I think that those are the three components that are really interesting in discussing and how that could ultimately lead you know, to a tipping, tipping point. And so, if if you agree that we're at the beginning of a radical transformation, then you would also agree that that would um, have a major impact on all systems, including, of course, the financial system. Because the financial system right now, you know, just serves itself. It 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 is built in order to serve itself. It does not have a purpose. It's not built to serve humanity, right? And so, of course, it will have to change, and. Um, and so, so, so in in that context, you know, the, the productivity of the financial sector has not really improved dramatically over the last 150 years, not like any other sector or most other sectors. And so it's it's ripe for innovation, and uh, and, and so the people who um, either don't want to see that or cannot see that, well, they will be uh, disintermediated, you know, when 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 we get into that into that change in a more rapid pace. Now, let me compare that to the change in transportation systems. In transportation systems, you don't have to be a visionary anymore to predict that everything will be you know, electric and hydro, that it will be safe driving cars, it will be the sharing economy, and blah, 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 right? And, 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 uh, and it will, you, know, you, you cannot really predict uh, when all that is gonna happen, but it will happen in the next five to 15, 15 years. And, and we have the terminology of how the new system actually will work, and it will have a major, major systemic uh, impact on many different people. So, so does artificial intelligence and other 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 technologies, right? Uh, that will impact these systems. Now, in ta- in times of systemic change, when you don't know the new system yet then we have to express ourselves in the terminology of the old dying system in order to have a conversation. And that's why Lisa and I, you know, um, cast our arguments in the language of modern portfolio theory such that we can debate it even so we believe the theory is wrong and, and we're not the only ones believing that. Clearly, it's not serving uh, the planet, right, at this point in time. And yet we haven't invented the new system yet. And so we have to, you know, figure out and push the envelope and, uh, and, and be dual language in that, in that confusing times of when, when these uh, system changes are happening. And so um, the acceleration of that will happen not only uh, because of um, technology innovations that el- enable you know, peer-to-peer lending, that enable crowdfunding, that enable participation of uh, beneficiaries into the design of what the, what the, the products uh, you know, the deliver on that, it will enable, um, you know, to answer the questions that I posed before, namely, how do you build um, a maximally, you know, impactful um, portfolio uh, given the constraints that you have? Uh, you know, we will we will have these tools in not too distant future available to us. In that coupled, I think, with an elevated consciousness of people understanding that um, that 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 they have to, you know that the meaning of, 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 of a meaningful life is actually uh, to make a positive contribution. I think that, uh, that is clear you know, to many people as well. And that together with the next financial crash that will happen anyway, because that's part of our system, hopefully would get us to, to a position where we can meaningfully debate you know, what portions of the new system we can implement after that new crash you know, um, in a way that would accelerate the transformation to this new system.
0: Great, you're, you're, you you uh, you you're an optimist. Do you feel? Yes. Do, you, do you feel? What do you think are a couple of the uh, key stages in this process? Um, I mean, and you mentioned this uh, possibility, or the 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 uh, uh, the fact that the likelihood uh, of when and who knows of a financial crash, um, and you know, and things coming out of that. Um, but are, are there uh, a couple of other, you know, if you were if you were <coughs> um, writing down the steps to reach, you know, a certain key kind of momentum in this. Uh, transformation to a a, a a a different way of uh i mean we call it responsible finance i'm not sure what the the language different ways <laughs> yeah, of talking yeah. about it are um, mm-hmm. what 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 would you 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 say are a few essential steps
1: right right um so um so let me start out a very high level and then have become and then get really really concrete so so bear with me so um so I think that the, um, the impact of our individual lives is a direct expression of who we really are. If you are, you know, uh, a peaceful, um, centered person who um, uh, wants to make a difference in this world, then it will show in your life and in your actions. I think that the trajectory of humanity is a direct expression of humanity's consciousness. <clears throat> consciousness. And awareness and today you know arguably uh, many portions you know are don't have the opportunity to go deeper in into that consciousness exploration to figure out how we can you know change the trajectory of humanity to a beautiful um, active participation in the universe in our planet um, in a positive sense and so I've decided that for the rest of my life that I'm, I want to make a small contribution to elevating the consciousness of humanity, and I do that by working with other like-minded folks in the context of the 100% community and many other communities around the, the, the globe that have decided also to make a positive uh, contribution uh, to humanity. And so, at this point in time, I am inspired by many 100%ers and other people who um, would would call themselves, you know, humanists. And uh, while acknowledging the beauty of tribalism, but not falling into the danger of tribalism. So I think with the, where we are, both with respect to human consciousness development, evolutionary development, and technology enablement, at this point in time, we can create a new web of um, activists, if you wish, who really um, believe in that in a non-egotistical way, detached from the outcomes, focused on making a meaningful difference um, on that. And so concretely, what that means is that um, within the 100%ers and outside of the 100%ers, you know, um, you can participate in aligning your portfolios to uh, broad impact and deep impact, and help us push the envelope forward, particularly in the uh, private sector. So the, the institutional capital is going broad as it should and will, and it will it will innovate on that level. And uh, remember, the institutional capital is about what 80 percent, 90 percent of capital to invest of the 100 trillion that we have uh, to invest in in, in you know it, it, on on this planet right now, and the. Um, and so, while the 80-90% is going ESG and sustainable, which is great, the 10-15% of our peers, we are exploring the deep impact side and, and challenge the system from that perspective. And uh, that's what 10 trillion dollars. And like I said, you know, the uh, the 100%ers is uh, six billion dollars. That's not even 0.0, you know, six percent roughly, right? And so, uh, it's a very small, tiny. Um, portion of the capital available, but if we, you know, if we grow that um, year over year, maybe 30, 40 percent, and learn quickly and uh, develop the uh, theories that have to go a- along with the movement, and and then, um, like I said, uh, with the next crash, hopefully we get an acceleration of that. I think that if we get to, you know, the single-digit percentage points in maybe five to 10 years, which seems long, but that's how long it's gonna take, you know, of that particular market, at that point in time, we, we will be a, a real niche of deep impact. And the, from a real niche of deep impact, then you can explore what the, what the potential is to grow into a bigger niche, and then maybe do systemic change.
0: That's a great vision, Charlie. Um, and Talking about how um, rates of returns and so forth, and, and we talk about social entrepreneurs, now, clearly, um, there are many areas, uh, many social problems that, uh, can be dealt with, with, you know, new organization forms that, 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 uh, are more business oriented and take capital that are looking for returns. And yet, at the same time, many of the social problems that, uh, we, we, we are faced with are, are pretty intractable and are pretty, Difficult to solve and risky, and in challenging environments. And there's a whole, clearly raft of of kinds of problems, kinds of challenges, kinds of markets. You could say that will never generate economic returns that you know of any significance, <coughs> and, and and so forth. Um, and, and and how do you uh, think about that? Because if everyone's looking for yeah. financial returns, yeah. Um, yeah. and and you do see that. Um, an increasing number, I know, at Echoing Green and so forth, they're seeing many, many more social entrepreneurs with for-profit business models and certainly yeah. hybrid business models. Um, and but the reality is that you know there, there there is a swathe of of really important issues, challenges that that, that won't ever uh, generate uh, the kinds of re- returns that that uh, investors are looking for.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a really important topic, a very, very important topic, because, um, you know, the, like I said, the broad impact movement is constrained by what they call market rate returns because of who they are, and yet that's not going, to your point, that's not going to solve the big issues of uh, climate, uh, many issues around climate change, many issues around social justice and poverty, right? And so the question then is, well, who does and how do we do that? And that's where the deep impact movement will have to continue to make to make a difference. If you take a step back again and say, as impact investors, right, we look at uh, environmental and social change. And I would say that um, it is arguably easier to design an impact portfolio with um, what they call market rate returns, at least in portions of your portfolio or outperforming market rate returns if you skew your portfolio more towards the ecological, the environmental side. Because the market, you know, if you're a little bit ahead of the market, realizing that environmental externalities will have to be internalized, well, then you just take advantage of the market mechanisms as they're in place, and you're able to make a good, decent return, right? That happened, by the way, you know, to to the solar industry and wind industry, right? When we started investing in that in the very early 2000s, the cost structures of that industry were not in a way structured in, in a way that you could expect big financial returns yet you know impact investors went into that and uh, i think we can we can take credit for accelerating you know the path towards um, big money coming in because our capital sort of experimented with that made it possible to do the early projects and now you know uh, it is a commercial grade investment for uh, for uh big money institutional capital to come in. And uh and, and again I want to stress that institutional capital does not invest in solar and wind in order to do good. They invest in that in order to make a lot of uh financial return, right? And we have invested in that because we think that having that level of scale come in will ultimately have a positive impact on the planet and and and, and the people. So we have a different you know different motivation, yet the uh the market system you know took care of that. Now and so are other externalities, you know, that, uh, that people now start understanding with respect to environmental waste management and uh, and, and, and environmental efficiency and things of that nature. You know, you can make a very um, decent financial return, maybe even outsized financial return, because you see things earlier than others. Now, having said this on a social side, that's not necessarily the case, because I would agree with, with your implicit assumption that the market right now... Does not agree with our assertion that social justice and inequality will also have to be solved in order to have a livable planet, and therefore we cannot expect anything close to financial returns in on investing in those types of topics. So that means necessarily, uh, I believe that the market will have to be adapted long term to include that as well. But that will be, you know, a long a long haul. Just like uh, maybe. 15 years ago we couldn't imagine a carbon tax actually being implemented I think we're getting closer to that and so now it's not that you know it's it's, it's not that unimaginable and impact investors can maybe maybe count on that you know moving forward at least in, in some countries of, the, of this planet now now it will take 10 15 years you know until we can say the same thing of maybe some social uh, externalities um, on that which then um, means that we have to, you know provide different types of capital for those types of issues to your point and that's just a fact right and so so i think that the the blended capital approaches and the so-called subsidies from a commercial return perspective to these deeper intractable issues are necessary and are a great way for philanthropy you know to make a meaningful contribution and uh, particularly in the context of sdgs which is a great uh, framework i mean it has many 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 issues as well, but I think it has the potential of actually um, aligning uh, public money, private money, and governments, right? Uh, and so, and maybe dig, digging deeper into systemic change as opposed to just treating treating the symptoms. And so, I'm quite inspired by, let's say, um, you know, big international NGOs like the Nature Conservancy and World uh, WWF and others, you know, designing. Um, financial constructs where uh, where they have quite sophisticated ways of leveraging different money in that has different expectations with respect to impact and return all the way from philanthropists that that really make sure that the other money can come in to maybe uh, subsidized capital from foundations or development banks uh, to commercial capital. And I think that that is the way to go. Uh, as opposed to saying all everything has to be mar- what they call a market rate return or everything has to be subsidized. And that requires a little bit more of a sophistication in the arguments. But I, I feel like the different leaders in the different sectors of, uh, of money um, are starting to understand that collaboration on that level will yield to better impacts long term than each one of them could do by themselves.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, I think that blended capital approach is very interesting. And it's interesting also the way you, I guess, uh, lay it out in terms of, you know, development of different phases of the market and uh, your optimism that we will get there with respect to the social uh, challenges and that, 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 that finance that prime that financial challenge is 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 a, a greater one and one that will take longer to 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 deal with and um, just on this topic just finally I guess uh this this question that you talked about the SDGs and so forth um now um clearly i guess this is one of the themes we uh, could call it a mega trend or whatever i suppose that you know governments have less capital they've less you know and as part of the rise the private sector have come into the wide wider range of of different kinds of projects and so forth um, you sometimes see and I think in the, the, the Monde Diplomatique they had a piece on the uh, electricity industry in Africa and this huge sums of money that are going in there and there's some significant players I think that are uh, private equity firms uh, and and so forth going in there um, and I guess I'd just be interested uh, yeah, I, I probably have a sense of what you're going to say here but in terms of the investors that you see because um Mm-hmm. it 's fair to say that uh, you know with the with the golden rule that the, someone with the money makes the rules um, <laughs> tends to make the rules or that 's been something that can have happen or dominate um, and they can have the whip hand and you know there 's been a lot of uh, private finance initiatives and and this kind of thing and and some of the, the the deals that have been struck and the kind of returns that have been made by the financial providers uh, <clears throat> in those are you wouldn 't say they were equitable. Um, and, and 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 now you see very large sums of money gathering. I mean, you talk about the SDGs, clearly uh, a very big project, and the kinds of sums of money involved are <coughs> eye-watering. Um, mm-hmm. Do you worry about that? I mean, presumably, in the hundred percent impact and the the the, the organisations you deal with, they are coming from a place of you know really driven by impact. But there will be other investors
1: with other motivations as well. I totally worry about this and that's again, you know, I do not expect uh, the broad impact uh, community to either understand or support the desire, you know, to um, actually enable the beneficiaries in a big way to participate in the upside of our investments. And um, so to give you an example, you mentioned private equity, right? So. Um, about the challenge and the magnitude of difference in in thinking. So private equity, let's remind ourselves, is driven by the need to have a single one-time financial exit uh, and maximize the financial return in that exit for the limited partners of the general partners of a fund, usually. That's how the system works, right? And so therefore, there's no discernible consideration of taking some of this maximization of profit away from the APs. As a matter of fact, that would not be tolerated, right? And so think about what we try to accomplish, which is almost the exact opposite. What we try to accomplish is sustainable impact with an appropriate financial return. So no wonder, right, that the uh, that the the intentions are not aligned, and that's another great example of the difference between deep impact and broad impact. On the deep impact side, we do do term sheets, you know, where the beneficiaries are participating in the upside. We do do term sheets where. Um, we get out of the deal once that we reach a certain IRR you know and and and, and don't hang on to um, to equity but let the company move forward in having a bigger impact particularly if their business model has impact in, ingrained in that right and so i i i'm not naive at all and i don't expect almost right uh, the 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 big ESG movement to care about that topic at all they don't and, uh, but not because they're bad or anything. It's, it, this is really a non-judgmental way of say, of saying to me, this is what we need to expect from them. Just like, you know, when I talk to hedge fund managers, I don't lead with consciousness. I lead with hedging because they understand that. And so as I start explaining, you know, impact investment as a term of hedge. And then I ease into, you know, whatever, however I can get to a more meaningful conversation if I talk to, you know, one party in, in the US, you know, I don't, I don't lead with the terminology, you know, that they are not able to listen to, but I, I lead with terminology that they're able to tune into, right? And so, um, so it's important, you know, that we are not naive, but also reaching out to um, everybody to participate how they can within their constraints in um in changing whatever they can change right and but the topic that you bring up uh, the equitable you know participation of uh, the, the poorest of the poor and the uh and changing the system to that level is something that we can only expect the deep impact movement to do
0: Right, very interesting, Charlie. Very interesting. How durable are these changes that you 're seeing at the moment you 're talking mm-hmm. about I, I, I think a growing group of investors that are looking for deep impact that care about impact that are looking for a financial system a uh, way of modeling thinking about finance that would have highlight and 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 uh, model and make sense out of the impact side of things and you're, you 're you're talking about this growing. Um, now, we've been in a particular financial uh, situation at the moment uh, with, you know, uh, extremely low interest rates, with what's been going on with central banks and so forth. Everybody has been scrabbling to get returns, uh, you know, across all kinds of asset classes and gone into riskier type of assets as well. Um, I, I just wonder to what extent has the current climate contributed to the dynamic that you're seeing? To what extent? is there something more deep and fundamental and underlying going on? And presumably the the rise of the millennials and and the transfer of of wealth here will have an important part to play. Um, And uh, I I guess uh, to get a sense of, you know, the the durability of that.
1: Yeah, well, that's an interesting question, right? Um, And so, excuse me. So I think that the um, broad... ESG movement is here to stay because it benefits from it. They can, you know, they can design new products where they can maximize their own returns with fees and everything else. They can do their secret sauce and convince people to stay with them. And so it fits right into the business models of the industry. And so I don't, and that's a good thing, right? So it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing that we're moving more into ESG and it's good that it stays. And maybe, maybe um, while we do the deep side, they will then go into deep uh, as well. But that remains to be seen, right? That's uh, way off in the future, and hopefully that will be the case or not. On the deep impact side, it depends, right? So um, I'm optimistic and, and assume that the deep impact folks, uh, including, you know, Tonic Impact assets, uh, so many others around around the world who are who are exploring with deep impact that we could collaborate even more um, design data sets and interoperabilities uh, you know um, uh, amongst each other that will um, enable researchers and everything else to participate in in coming up with uh, new theories new practices new tools new examples new new ways of doing things um, and um, and uh, that we would by doing that um, there's two outcomes possible, right? The first one will be the negative one, <clears throat> that the broad movement will declare a victory on the impact side, which it will, and that that's good. But in the process of doing so, drown us, drown the, the, the deep impact folks out, and we we might be collateral damage, you know, in that scenario. I don't think that that's going to happen because we will, you know, we start having a voice and we can amplify that, and and, and like I said. In an earlier question, I think that we can establish a small niche in the next five to ten years. That is, meaningful and significant on the impact side. That is challenging the system, that is attracting uh, new capital. And if we're able to do that, then then we're here to stay as well, right? And so I'm optimistic that we will be able to do that. However, you know, it's the the, the path to that is not without without danger. And so here come the millennials, right? Because you mentioned that too. And um, of course, the millennials, you know, will be um, an ever bigger force with respect to um, demanding, you know, value alignment and I think impact uh, over time. Today, they control; they don't control that many assets. And so today, you know, they're particip they're participating and beautifully you know, learning and uh, and in the, in the context of the, of the tonic community with beautiful, uh, you know, families participating where, where the next generation, you know, participates in their own, with their own portfolio. Maybe the family is not ready yet to move 100% or needs some more time. But when the next generation, often in their 20s and early 30s, is starting to uh, not just experiment but go deep into impact with the smaller portfolios that they control a beautiful thing is happening you know the because the brothers and sisters and cousins and uncles and aunts are watching and uh, because the, the new generation is doing impact investing joyfully with the with the with the intention of making a positive impact as opposed to fear based of losing money it's infectious right and if we if we can help them to make a decent return which we can You know, then, of course, it becomes really an interesting entry point for them to already now be a major influencer of other capital that's going to come in even before they get in in control of that. So I'm very hopeful, you know, in in Europe, the tonic community is growing with millennials. I think 40 percent of this year's new members are millennials. And that's a beautiful um, way of connecting the new generation and the innovation and, 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 and curiosity and uh, challenging, uh, you know, with with the experience and the, and hopefully the, the wiseness of some of the older generation. I think that's really a, a great coalition to make a deeper impact. Right. Great, great. Great. One to watch. <laughs>
0: yeah. One yeah. to watch. Now, can I talk a little bit about, you mentioned this question, a hot topic of, of measuring impact. And I, I'd like to get your thoughts on that um it, it, in a sense it seems to me you know i mean risk and return you can boil down to some numbers whether they're right or not measuring impact seems to me a, a wholly different affair and a challenging one can you talk a little bit about um your mm-hmm. your approach to measuring impact and and how it fits into your model
1: uh totally and it's such a hot topic right that it's and it, it it deserves to be a hot topic So I think most people would agree that it's not just about measuring impact, but managing impact. So the industry has moved over to using that terminology, which I agree with. Uh, How do you manage your impact all the way from articulating your theory of change and your intentions to doing due diligence, to doing a term sheet, to monitoring what's going on, to exiting? You know, all that is part of managing impact. And the good news is that there are great coalitions of um, different uh, people and networks working on that. And and, and they are mostly collaborative, if not all of them are collaborative, as far as I can tell. And to give you an example, there's a big effort going on that's called Impact Management Project, IMP, that's driven by um, Bridges. And that has come out with, uh, with a great set of new tools and terminologies and methodologies that a lot of us are incorporating into our models, into our uh, ways of, um, of articulating the management processes and the results. And to give an example of that, Lisa and I, we will publish uh, the next impact and financial report of our foundation on April 30th with our partner New Philanthropy Capital and Zoning Capital, and we have a section in that report that actually, um, you know, expresses our portfolio in the terminology and the context of this uh, new emerging uh, uh, way of of dealing with impact management. Uh, World Economic Forum and OECD uh, are working on similar work groups and work streams uh, to, and they're collaborating on, on that level. And uh, so that enables networks like Tonic to integrate these methodologies into their tool sets. And when Tonic, you know, reaches out to its uh, 100%, 100%ers, you know, to document uh, the 100% impact portfolios, it uses a tool, the impact portfolio tool, that not only allows its members to express their impact top-down from SDGs to outcomes to outputs, but also bottom-up or anything in between. And so you see that the practicality of actually um, employing these emerging ways of dealing with impact are uh, coming, you know, into the toolset, you know, near to you. And I am very hopeful that um, you know, that using these tools, we will be able to do these longitudinal studies, which are starting now to actually um, use the data points coming in to experiment with the relationship like I I discussed before of the impact um, returns that we expect, the outcomes, SDGs and outputs and how they correlate or don't correlate with the risks that we take and uh, and the risk return on the financial side. So while it seems complex from the outside, it is complex to a certain extent, right? But these tools uh, are making it easier. And uh, and I think in order to emerge with the desired simplicity, we have to go through this exploration. Sometimes it seems a little bit complex. Sometimes, you know, go too deep or not. But it's necessary in order to come out with meaningful ways of, uh, uh, of documenting that. I expect that certain... Uh, verticals, certain themes within the impact community will lend themselves quite rapidly to a fairly comprehensive assessment on impact and others don't. And I think that that's just part of the beast and, and that we will be able to make progress continuously over the next few years in uh, making sure that we can move from maybe easier ways of articulating impact in certain themes to all the way articulating systemic change in how to measure impact from that perspective in the not too distant future.
0: Great, great. And where do the SDGs fit in here? Would these models help with um, allocating capital and thinking about uh, an investment in in various SDGs?
1: Yes. So the SDG uh, the SDGs are a useful, very useful framework with respect to terminology, right? And so it allows different money managers and the uh, streams of money be that um, philanthropic capital or plain, or or commercial capital or private capital or government capital right to align itself vis-a-vis your higher level goals as expressed by SDGs i you know the uh, so, so that's the opportunity and i think it's real and it's good you know the danger would be that uh, that these efforts would just treat the symptoms of the SDGs and not go deeper, which of course you know is very challenging for an organization like the UN, you know that is the like the the the, the shepherd of uh, of these SDGs, and uh, because arguably you know the UN and its uh, and and its uh, processes contribute to some of the issues of the global system, and so it's a difficult question for all of us to question our own role as investors and participants, you know, in, 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 in some of the underlying um, systemic issues. And that's what I meant. Again, we talked about this earlier, you know, the deep impact folks are willing to ask that question. It's a very difficult question because it gets at the core of what the uh, at the core of the, the consequences of, of the current investment world. Right. And, um, Yeah, so that's you know that's the opportunity and the danger. Yes,
0: well, at the heart there is a contradiction really in economic growth itself. You know, economic growth in a a limited, you know, a a, a, a planetary context. It's it's you know you can't have unlimited economic growth, and yet in many ways the financial system is you know based upon uh companies you know maximizing their growth and returns and so forth and um i guess that is part of a reconceptualization of finance which you're talking about
1: it will have to be right because as you point out the notion of uh, of exponential growth of one part of the economy and at the expense of um, of resources and, and and adequate and and, and just resource management Cannot possibly be the answer, and I think any, you know, any economist and macroeconomist um, would agree with that.
0: So, uh, part of your your the work that you're doing, Charlie, uh, you talked about is helping to develop the impact investment ecosystem. And I know, uh, relative to the, the the traditional financial system, it's still very early days. What would you say? Are how, how well how, how developed is the ecosystem? What are a, a couple of key elements, do you think, and, 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 and what's next?
1: Yeah, great, uh, great uh, question, thanks for, for that. When we think about the impact ecosystem, that then not surprisingly, we think about the supply side of capital, um, meaning the investors, the demand side of capital, meaning the entrepreneurs and the funds and what have you. And the intermediaries that enable the transactions to flow between the investors and the investees. Now, in an early market like we are for the impact ecosystem, you know, all three um, components are immature and need to uh, be supported. And, and Lisa and I, we we try to figure out from our foundation and our networks about where are the leverage points, you know, right now in each one of these. Uh, parts of the ecosystem where we can help push the ecosystem forward to more maturity, and so let's just uh, talk about the supply side of capital, which we have talked about quite a bit, um, you know, earlier in our discussions. But that's the impact investors, right? And, and we have uh, been um, quite um, quite explicit in uh, making sure that we help the different networks, particularly Tonic and the 100%ers, but also others, you know, grow and be more impactful by educating not only the investors, but also the advisors that uh, serve the investors. And that's a huge leverage point, right? Because all of the 100%ers, you know, they work, well, not all, but most, many of the 100%ers work with advisors. And uh, we have shown that if you work with, uh, with, uh, with a really um, great advisor, that your path to impact is accelerated, not surprisingly, right? And so the question that we have is, where do we have the leverage points to actually um, educate the advisor world to be more impactful in serving the community? That's an active conversation. Now, if we move over <clears throat> to the demand side of capital, right, then um, there, of course, uh, all the way from social entrepreneurs that uh, are struggling and getting many capital stacks working for them because they might not uh, be working on a topic that lends itself either to an equity investment because the value creation is not there or that lends itself to access to debt because they might not have the cash flow or the collateral to get access to that. And so um, working with accelerators and other like-minded folks to help social entrepreneurs get off the ground is just one small segment of that market. And, and Lisa and I have been quite um, active on, on, on that in that world, but we also are big supporters of first-time fund managers that have a new theory of change with respect to impact, and particularly with open-ended funds like uh, AquaSpark or with um funds that are more socially oriented where investors in acumen capital markets uh, one or um that um democratize you know impact investing like impact assets notes or social stock exchange or efforts um you know that that go along along those lines and so, so in order to so there we would consider success if these first-time fund managers go to their second and third fund and instead of raising 10 25 million they are able to raise 100 million and then multiple hundreds of million right and then get into the institutional capital and with their value proposition of doing meaningful impact work uh, you know that's <clears throat> that's how we see the the scale slowly um, you know happening happening over time and last but not least of course the intermediaries that make that happen deserve to be supported, and we are investors in Zoning Capital, who is uh, our in, in investment advisor. We are big investors and supporters of Impact Assets, which I'm the board chair of, which is a an impact uh, platform for donor-advised funds going to scale right now, and we're supporting you know, emerging impact merchant banks that are trying to figure out how, how to work their business model in order to make them more successful. So. I think there's a lot of opportunities for impact investors to uh, put their money where their mouth is and support the infrastructure that we need to strengthen in order to get to um, systemic change over time and to enable the deep impact folks to, uh, to really go deep as they deserve, uh, and, and we want them to fantastic fantastic
0: and in terms then of of the underlying uh the, the getting the money to this the social problems as it were this the or the, so the, the the environmental challenges or the environmental opportunities uh however you, you 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 characterize it can you talk about some of the kind of areas that you are uh interested in and have been active in and that you find uh exciting
1: <clears throat> yes absolutely so um just to remind you and your listeners, you know, our theory of change so far has not been thematic, meaning we don't really optimize for healthcare or education or any other topic that so many impact investors care about. Our topic is changing the financial system itself. And therefore, you know, the investments that we are most excited about are these, these first time investments in new instruments that might have the potential of changing the financial system itself in investing in the infrastructure and the ecosystem uh, of doing that. So we are investing actively in democratization of uh, impact in investing. We are actively investing in new constructs like the social impact bonds. We're actively investing in um, new social stock exchanges and and, and non-accredited investor access to, uh, to these in new. Uh, term sheets that we then publicize and, and, and enable others to uh, maybe copy and paste, and so that's really um, now. If the side effect of this is, of course, you know that we also met, we we have created these clusters of uh, impact that that follow conventional themes, and um, and um, listeners, you know, are encouraged to go on the NPC uh, website to to download the um, the our our. Impact report where we actually, you know, share the um, metrics including outcomes, outputs, and SDGs that our investments in these different verticals actually accomplish. And on top of that, of course, we measure the movement building side and the ecosystem building side because that's part of, um, you know, part of our theory of change and part of our um, way of uh, impacting the ecosystem. Well, what next? Uh, that's a great question. So, so with with respect to our foundation, right? Let's start out there first because we have worked really hard for the last 11, 12 years to prove that you can build a hundred percent impact portfolio with what they call market rate returns across all asset classes and have a reasonably deep impact in doing so. By doing by doing that, we hope to inspire thousands of other portfolios and right now it's already 100 and going to multiple hundreds right and so we are on track in doing that because a lot of people do have these constraints of what they call market rate returns even so some of us are are carving out you know different ways of doing things that we discussed earlier in our podcast which brings up the next 10 years for Lisa and I and uh, we call it KL uh, 3 3.0 our next iteration that we do in partnership with our Kids, which who are not kids anymore, but adults and and their spouses, and we have decided that we want to show how to do a 100% thematic portfolio, and uh, offer that thematic portfolio up as a modern benchmark for the themes that we care about. And we have chosen the high-level schemes, uh, themes, sorry, of uh, climate change and social justice. We're just working through the sub-themes to to really understand what we want to invest in. In these huge overarching themes, and coming up with a strategy of how to do that, and uh, and we agreed that for our foundation, you know, the expected financial return floor for the next five years would be zero percent. That would give us a little bit more latitude to experiment beyond market rate returns and really figure out more impactful ways of dealing with more difficult questions of uh, social justice that we want to do, and then offer that up, like I said, as a as a modern meaningful benchmark for others who want to build a 100% uh, impact portfolio around that. And then uh, with meaningful um, impact and deep impact and adequate financial returns. We're also, so that's our foundation. Now, with respect to uh, the 100% movement, we are very, very excited in the context of Tonic and many other efforts that we do, you know, to continue our support and effort uh, of moving the 100% movement forward Towards the next level of uh, scale and deep impact, and um, and we're excited about the opportunities. Like I said already, you know, six billion dollars uh, committed to impact with that, with that global network. We're excited about the global <clears throat> um, global aspects of this network, all the way from Australia, Hong Kong, South Korea, Japan, to the Middle East and uh, Europe and North America. And, uh, and the way that, uh, that we um, share our, our intention and why we do this all the way to supporting our mindfulness journey to be really uh, mindful about the impact that we wanna have and to reach the systemic change that we want to accomplish the three pillars of the 100%ers, um, 100% portfolios, mindfulness journey, personal transformation, and systemic change. And that brings me to the last piece of what I'm really excited about, and that's igniting the modern world of um, researchers who are not only motivated by writing <laughs> the maximum number of papers, but who are motivating to contributing uh, to humanity's evolution and positive contribution uh, through their research. And uh, I'm excited about the alliance of practitioners and researchers to do that, which brings me maybe to the last piece of uh, what I'm excited about, and that's continuing my journey of, um, of marrying um, consciousness and wealth and bringing back my Silicon Valley background of technology innovation, which I think can contribute to these other exciting ways of moving us and humanity forward.
0: Well, that's a wonderful vision, Charlie, and I wish you the very best of success with it all thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today
1: thank you so much it was it um it was a pleasure and thank you so much for leading the the interesting questions in helping me navigate through that
0: thank you for listening to the inspiring social entrepreneur podcast i hope you found this interview inspiring please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future
1: podcasts